Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In this special episode, we will be talking about Barbara and Ian's time in the TARDIS, discussing some of their highs and lows, and the overall impact they had on the show. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on two of the original companions for Doctor Who. To join on the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. So, Paddington. Yes. Do you want to do Ian first or Barbara first? So, no, this is the thing. Do we want to go alphabetically or do we want to go with who we've kind of determined to be the superior of the two? (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you want to build up to that superiorness or what? Yeah, which in retrospect, I suppose, is the exact same thing. Um, Yeah, so how about we... Yeah, okay. No slight against the man himself, but how about we start off with Ian? Yeah, okay, we'll go alphabetically by last name. Yes, exactly. How about we, we phrase it that way? Yes, cool. there so we go. So we have Mr. Ian Chesterton, science master of Coalhill School, also known as Sir Ian Knight of Jaffa. Mm-hmm. So, Paddy, what were your strengths for Mr. Ian? You also uh, forgot that his name is also Chesterfield, not Chesterton. And Chatterton. And Chatterton. Uh uh, one half of the science bros. <laughs> oh God, the partnership has ended. <laughs> no. Um. So, like, before we had started doing the podcast, Ian was always in within my top five companions. Yep. And he's he's still there, but obviously, with the way things have kind of gone, his position within that top five has changed ever so slightly. Um, but what I love about Ian is it is it, just it's where do I, where do I begin? He's very charismatic, so I, he's very charming, but idiotically and intentionally at times. <laughs> like when I say idiotically, there are times where it's just like, "Oh, Ian, you're so cute." <laughs> <laughs> um, he's very caring. Uh, he's an absolute, you know action man like as we've seen like we're you know jumping sword fighting horse riding all the things you can see in a film um he is no ian is definitely a um a character that makes you want to kind of be like him you know in the sense of being kind of a role model type thing and i think both himself and barbara have definitely done wonders for the teaching uh industry because of my god if we get to do stuff like this cool I want to be a teacher when I grow up yeah, although I w- that wasn't my experience <laughs> you lied to me Chatterton well to be fair like, like there are times like, where it's like Ian's credentials as a science teacher are p- pulled into question yeah yeah we discussed <laughs> that a bit <laughs> uh, let's just let's just put an open flame to this like, un- like this unending line of gas let's see uh, what could possibly go wrong yeah, and like I, Ian is definitely, and like you could kind of say that it's oh, it's a situational favoritism where it's uh, you know the way the whole thing is, everyone says oh this current doctor is the best doctor ever until the next doctor comes along and then people drastically re uh, reassess their situation, and like we kind of, we had we kind of like we definitely saw it when we were in college when it came time from like. David Tennant uh, turning into Matt Smith and Matt Smith then turning into Capaldi and there was that whole thing of oh this one is even better than the last but presumably that thing was there back when the show first started but we never really saw it yeah it was like from interviews and things like from people who watched the show back at that time it was the same with every change of Doctor especially I think I saw recently enough on the fan page, the Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who fan page for people who actually like the show. They had this article, like it was like um, an agony ant section where someone wrote in completely about uh, Patrick Troughton, and yeah. yeah, so it's been there since day dot. I suppose the internet has just made stuff like that seem a bit louder. But my point being is that even like after a complete watch through ten years ago, and now starting this watch through again, Ian hasn't changed in my estimation so like he's consistently been a great character and from 1963 for me personally from 1963 there's been very few companions be they male female alien or whatever way shape or form they are can come anywhere close to him 
Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's a legacy that's like whether it be like again television movies whatever that's a legacy that anyone can be proud of to have created a character that has like stood the the test of time to so many people you know yeah definitely i think when i was doing up my notes for this um you know like part of me part of me i started doing a list i was like he's courageous he's brave he's a good fighter he's dedicated and then my brain started going down through basically the boy scouts of america i was like trustworthy mm. loyal helpful friendly courteous kind obedient cheerful <laughs> well did he help <laughs> an old lady brave, cross clean, the reverend i was like <laughs> oh my god he's actually all of them um but i think the best way to describe ian is mm. he is sir ian Mm-hmm. He is a knight. He he is a for nineteen sixty three, a modern day knight. Yeah, willing to jump in, fighting for the good cause. You know he's very um, chivalrous. Yes, but not condescending either. No, you know he fully supports the women and whatever they want to do, but he also wants to protect them where he possibly can. Um, and I think, you know, Sir Ian, Knight of Jaffa, is really who Ian Chesterton is. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came up when I was doing up this list was there was a very recently, like yesterday, as you and I are recording this, in that Facebook group that we've mentioned before and that you mentioned a while ago, someone posted about how Ian, when traveling through time and space, still manages to wear his tie. <laughs> <laughs> and you commented that his hair is still parted perfectly and whatever, except when Barbara redoes it in the Romans. Yeah. And I made the comment about how he's also apparently using a Coal school tie to keep up his pants. But the thing that it really sort of pointed out to me was that for the man out of time sort of trope, I suppose, or cliche or whatever... He adapts so well. And the same can be true of Barbara, and we'll get to that in a second. But like with Ian, if you think about it, you know, when he was going back to the caveman times, when he was on a different planet, you know, we see it I think we see it the first big way we see it is in the Aztecs. When yeah. he's suddenly in Aztec times and he's being told, Hey, you're going to be the new leader of our armies and he just wanders off and it's like, Okay, cool. What am I doing? I need to Okay, cool. And he just immediately jumps in and absorbs there's none of this woe is me there's no sort of how do i do this i don't know how to fit in even when he doesn't understand the technology particularly like in the space-based stories he still jumps in 110 percent while still remaining ian chesterton does that make sense no it does like because i think the way you kind of describe the f- the first the starting of Doctor Who is that it almost feels at times like it's a bit of an RPG, and yeah. I- Ian could have very easily been that like gung ho, you know, leave it to me type character, and ends up causing more hassle than they're worth. But Ian went in with all the sense, like a p- perfect sense set of sensibilities, in the sense of like you know it's we need to we need to look after ourselves we shouldn't we don't need to get involved in stuff but if we do get involved in stuff we need to make sure we're getting involved for the right reasons and that kind of goes back to i know that it's not um we we kind of disagreed on the episode the story as a whole but the daleks um ian's mantra that we can't force them to fight just for our benefit they need to fight for themselves yeah and i think that there are other characters in the show that would have probably wouldn't have been as I wouldn't have taken that line of approach yeah I think the thing that that you know that conversation on Facebook reminded me of yesterday was the fact that and this is true for Barbara as well but I think I think it's you know it came up yesterday in relation to Ian um you know we will see companions you know one of my favorite companions ever who lose themselves in the TARDIS if that makes sense so yeah who they were when they arrived is not who they are when they leave and I don't mean in terms of 
growth and development as a person and stuff which is all great and you know it's, it's always great to see people grow and evolve but you know fundamentally as a person they're different yeah you know and with ian and to, to some extent i think with barbara as well though i think because of um ian's uh, you know one of his weaknesses i'll get to in a second i think it's more obvious with ian that ian chesterton no matter where he is he is still ian chesterton and he has his own morals and his own beliefs and he will stand by them no matter he, what he's still uh ian chesterton uh call hill alumni yes exactly <laughs> yeah. um the other strength i've written down just because we joked about it in the episode and i kind of had to include it is ian chesterton also has a very nice arse <laughs> just saying uh perfect now we could like now we have like open season to objectify these people no but it, like no no but, but no no but yeah no seriously that, like i suppose like i i'm not gonna lie ian is a very easy on the eyes all right again but i think it's down as i said to the hair it's just you know <laughs> it's perfect so the other side of the coin obviously is for every set of strengths a person has they will also have weaknesses mm-hmm so what do you think are Ian's weaknesses in terms of the stories we've seen? Well, he does seem to have a tendency to get knocked unconscious by his friends, so I would view that as a weakness. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. I think there are times, like, you know, we've said that Ian, is can, he can be very rational, he can be very level-headed, he can be very level-headed at times. Yes. However, there are times where I think he kind of buys too much into the adventure and kind of buys too much into his uh, you know, I'm a time traveller I can kind of overcome this stuff and like the, a good case in point was this when um, during the crusade when you know he just decides you know I'm, I'm in dangerous territory it's a war torn land I'm going to sleep in the open this appears to have backfired against me terribly um, I think sometimes he comes across he can be a bit too confident yeah and like for but no that that being said like it doesn't come up a whole lot but when it does come up it's like a pro- proper picard face palm moment you know yeah so something that ties into his sometimes overconfidence if we call mm. it that and emphasis on sometimes because he's not always like that yeah but something that i have on my list that i think ties into that is ian can be incredibly impatient Yes. We discussed this in, I believe it was the Sensorites, where because he's Ian Chesterton action man, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the joke that we played with, though in fairness, William Russell has described that's how he was as well, that's what he was meant to be. Yeah. Um, when he can't be man of action, and particularly when he can't be a man of action and Barbara is potentially in danger and this comes up again in the Crusades he gets incredibly impatient and frustrated and he's just like I want to go and you know we kind of joked about it a little bit in the Dalek Invasion of Earth where like he's kicking down doors and you know being whatever and you know falling out a window but I think he can be quite impatient which I think ties into his overconfidence in some ways, but also it actually ties back into his strengths where he needs to be doing something. He needs to be helping someone. You know, Barbara was taken off by Saracens to God knows where. Yeah. You can't tell me. I don't care if you're the King of England. You can't tell me I can't go after her. No, definitely. Although that that did kind of sound like, you know, like your strengths can lead to your weaknesses, which can then lead back to your strengths. It's all circular. Sir. It, it is It is with Ian, though. I mean, he's yeah. a fairly, you know, he's a decent individual, you know, so his weaknesses yeah. are, you know, to, to coin a term from the work environment, he over-indexes on his strengths, which become yeah. then a weakness. Um, you know, we saw it in the honoured version of an unearthly child, you know, he's a bit quick to anger. Mm-hmm. 
you know, again, and that's that impatience coming through again. Do you know? Yeah. Um, the other weakness I have for him, I have two actually. So the first one is, and we kind of joked about this in terms of Ian Chesterton, man of science, except when he's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this show was originally targeted to be a sort of history slash science educational-esque show. And so they had Barbara, the history teacher, who gets great ability to show that off. Mm-hmm. But Ian, and this isn't a weakness of the character, it's a weakness of the stories he was in, he didn't get to show that off all that much. Um, you know, we say like he's science bros with the doctor, but we didn't get to see as much science as we maybe would have liked. And the science that we did get to see is either super rudimentary, as we, i.e. condensation, mm-hmm. or it's dangerous, such as setting fire to an open gas tap and then leaving it open and running away. So how you know. how about we we can put this in a more positive frame of light that he was the nucleus for the concept of MacGyver. Yeah, and he you know I think that's what I would have liked to have seen. I think you know when we're doing science bros or when he's not with the doctor, I would have liked to have seen more of him sciencing his way out of things as opposed to fighting his way out of things. Yeah, or science. Yeah. Um, I did have one more note that mm-hmm. I wanted to get to, but do you have any other weaknesses for Mr. Chester? Not, not, not really. Uh, again, it's just like because he's in, because of his in, uh, his overconfidence, he can end up landing himself in situations where it's like, nah, for fuck's sake, Ian. <laughs> yeah. So the final note I have, and I, I sort of felt weird putting this in as a weakness, but I had to put it in somewhere, and this seemed like the best place to put it is. He's a bit more one note than Barbara would be. You know, he's Ian Chesterton, action man. Well, that that's he's fair because, like, yeah, no, that 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 is fair uh, because I suppose there was never really an episode that he was the focal point of. Yeah, like the question I would put to you with that is like, what did so Ian showed that he is a capable fighter very early on and he showed that he can step into a leadership role and stuff like that. Hmm. But he didn't learn those things, if that makes sense. He just showed that he can do them. So the question I would put to you Mm -hmm. is, what did Ian actually learn? That he can do a very good data compression? (laughs) Yeah, so that, that was probably like the one thing that like, when I was thinking about Ian and I was listing his strengths as sort of like you know he's you know he's Sir Ian he's a bit of a boy scout he you know he's great but other than getting a bit cocky and a little bit impatient from time to time that, that that's who he is <laughs> which yeah. isn't necessarily a bad thing and I think it's actually a really good um it's a really good representation of how you would describe a man from 1963. Do you know? Yeah. So, will we move on to his best and worst moments? Yes. So, for best episodes, I listed three for his best episodes. Okay. And they are the Romans, the Daleks, and the Aztecs. Is that in any particular order, or is it just... That is in uh, that order. These are the three. That... <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I like the Romans so the best. Num- so number one would be the yeah. Romans, number two would be the Daleks, and number three would be the Aztecs. My reason for that order is the Romans, we really got to see how far Ian can go physically in terms mm-hmm. of how much he can take but also how far he is willing to go in terms of, like we said, that dedication, that singular purpose of, I have to get back to Barbara. And we really see that in the Romans, like right from the off. 
so just because we've been watching a lot of Disney movies with Alice, you're making him sound like a cross between Moana, How Far I'll Go, and Hercules, I Can Go the Distance. <laughs> so he shall now be called Ian, Ian, Ian Chesterton, Moana, please. Moana, please, yes. Um, but yeah, I think <laughs> The Romans is a yeah. really good showcase for Ian. It also shows his playful side. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I like that episode so much. You know, we get to see him playing around a bit with Barbara. And also we get to see him sort of relaxing. And again, we get to see Ian Chesterton, the man from 1963, who is in ancient Rome. And all he wants to do is lie on the couch, eat some grapes and have a bit of a kip. Yep. Or um, as he said in his last, I, I want to like sit in a pub again, and have a pint of beer or just watch a cricket match. Yeah. But uh, I just find it funny, he, like, you just walk in a park and just uh, happens. It's like a Pokemon, like a random cricket match appears. Um, the other stories then, the Daleks, I think, you know, you raised the point about it shows his moral character a lot in the Daleks mm-hmm. and his leadership abilities and his, again, his willingness to get stuck in. And then we have the Aztecs, which, you know, is a really good representation of, and the first representation we see of Ian in history and adapting to that role and not wavering at all so those are my top three for ian how about you uh so just before that as you were saying the aztecs the mic kind of cut out a small bit so i it's just something you said like as for the as and i'm like jesus we stopped talking about the man's arse (laughs) (laughs) we we get it Um, so yeah I think this is a, again a case of our sort of weird team mind meld working uh, I have I have it in the exact same order I have the Aztecs the Daleks and the Romans because the Aztecs we do get to see his I, I, I get we get to see it from different perspectives okay we get to see his I would say like probably the best action man moment from him in his two fights with Ixta mm. uh, like the one where he's or even like the three encounters he has with Ixta because he, he gets him with the thumb first of all then he out wrestles him and it's only because of the the doctor's distraction leading to Ixta scratching him with the paralyzing thorn uh, that Ixta gets the upper hand and then you've got the opposite side of things where they're fighting with weapons and Ixta is out to kill Ian so I think it's a, that's a really good action man moment but there's a fantastic visual moment there where Ian is trapped in the flooding uh, tunnel and yeah. great acting by William Russell to get across the whole oh shit I'm screwed uh, moment with the Daleks I, I, like, I, as you said I pointed out I love his morals coming to the fore we can't force someone to fight just for our benefit if they are to fight which they should they need to realise it themselves and his he's doing his best like to kind of make uh, Ganatus um, mm. or is it Alaton sorry Alaton to make him see like that he is all all that they need in order to be a leader for the Tals. He just needs to see it in himself. And as well his refusal to let Antidus just die. You know, he still yeah. tries to help pull him up the cliff and then unfortunately Antidus takes his own life in order to save Ian's. So I I, I think that's a really good thing from the more like the moral and the character building side of Ian's story. And then it all just comes together perfectly in um the Romans. We get to see the action man, but we also get to see the moral side of things where he refuses to take advantage over uh, Delos in the gladiatorial yeah. combat. Again, like it's like, you know, we get to see like the humorous side of things as well. So I think that was pretty cool. So yeah, uh, three to one, I think we're on this, the same page. Very good. Then we have his worst episodes. Um, I have two stories listed here. The first one is Planet of Giants. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I listed this as his worst story is that it was the ideal story for Ian Chesterton's science master to come out. You know, it's relatively modern day to him. It's in, you know, a modern lab. You know, a basic modern lab. Like, it's not like a super technical lab. It's a basic modern lab. And it was the ideal opportunity for Ian to show his science acumen and his science prowess. And other than having the idea to light the gas tap, which is a questionable idea to say the least, that that's all we see. Like, we don't see, like, you know, I remember when we were talking about this episode and I kind of gave out because, like, they're going, they're reading down this giant, quote unquote, giant sheet of paper, reading out this chemical formula and whatever. And he's describing hmm. things as see line going 90 degrees this way or whatever i'm like dude you know that's 
benzyl chloride or you know that's you know hydrogen peroxide you know what these things are call them by what they are and I think it was a wasted opportunity to show that he is a good scientist and that you know the doctor obviously does some stuff in that story as well but I think it would have been a good opportunity for Ian to show that he's a good scientist and of course he's blind as a freaking bat and didn't notice that Barbara poisoned herself yeah dope yeah so like uh, you can go on with your because I, I really only have one story and yeah. you can go on the second one if you wish. <laughs> yeah, so the second one I wrote down was The Web Planet. And mm. the reason why I put this one down is A, he had a science failure at the beginning. Um, <laughs> with the whole, I will drink this water. I don't know if it's water. Oh, look, it's acid. Well, yeah, smart yeah. ass. But the reason why I put this down as and I think worst episodes is probably not... I think weakest episode for Ian is probably a better way to think about this is mm-hmm. he doesn't contribute a whole lot to this story. We said at the time he contributed... Like his storyline contributed a lot to the world building with the Optera and stuff like that. But he was kind of off to the side for a long period of time because William Russell was on holidays. But he was off to the side for a long period of time and he didn't really contribute much to the story was my my feeling on it yeah so when i'm going down through the list it was planet of giants and really the only other one i could think of that was a weak story for ian was the web planet it was the only one i could consider as a weak story no that's that's fair um i suppose i was kind of get like that would yeah because we talked about susan before like where she's had like very limited character interactions and she's had very limited screen time mm. i definitely agree with you for planet of the giants like as i put down least observant science bro of all time um <laughs> because of like yeah again like not paying it not realizing that barbara has touched the seed uh that could effectively kill her and him as well and the dubious science experiments or you know the dubious showing of your scientific abilities but also as well there's one part in it where it's like susan is, is saying to him like oh we've we've we're shrunk down and he's like oh come off it and i'm like oh, seriously of all the things that you have witnessed since you've been on the tardis being shrunk down is the thing that just seems like the most ridiculous to you when you're sat in a giant matchbox yeah i, I thought it was like a small bit just out of place for ian yeah, it's probably the one, probably the one bit where actually what I said earlier, where he's not condescending. It's probably the one bit where he was the closest to being a bit of a condescending arse about something. Yeah, and I, but I see it's it's weird. It's coming like I think like uh, Planet of the Giants is like or Planet of Giants is just like the cursed Doctor Who story. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. So shall we move on to the the fairer side of the duo? Yes, we shall. Miss Barbara Wright. I love so, her. Y- I let off on Ian, so how about you lead off on... What? <laughs> no, 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 I was going to say you lead off on her. But then you beat okay. me to it by going, I love her! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so looking at Barbara's strengths, again, there's a long list here. The, the defining mm. characteristic for Barbara, and it comes up in the Romans is her caring, compassionate nature. You know, Mama Barbara is alive and well. <laughs> you know, she is, um, you know, is a key component of who Barbara is as a person. But it's not the only thing she is. I think, you know, if you're thinking about a story written in the 1960s with a female main character, it would have been very easy to just have her be in the maternal role mm-hmm. and while they do do some stuff that emphasizes that such as the fact that she's apparently an amazing cook which i wouldn't say no to they also show that it's not just caring compassion she's also incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. she's a really good strategist yep she's a complete fucking badass like i i didn't realize until we watched them in order just how much of a badass she is and she doesn't take shit from anyone, specifically mm-hmm. the doctor, but also I, I watched a clip the other day of in the Aztecs, you know, with that fight with Ian and Ixta when Yeah. Oh, what the hell is his name? The evil high priest. 
Kotoxel. When Kotoxel's like, if you're a goddess, save him. And and she's just like, cool. You kill him, I kill you. (laughs) Do you know, Uh. she's freaking brilliant. And like all of her conversations with the doctor are amazing. And then the last thing is that, you know, you have all of that, but she's also incredibly funny. But in a sort of smart ass, (laughs) sassy sort of rolling the eye under her breath sort of way no she's like um do you have any more points there before i kind of start to agree with you <laughs> yeah no, that was all of them um her being funny is the thing that i think i missed on my first watch through all those years ago that i really enjoyed this time around was how funny she is particularly there's the whole thing with the fridge and the romans but also mm-hmm. like <laughs> the you know when the doctor was you know singing to himself um <laughs> in the chase i said like, you what's that horrible noise he's like that's a horrible thing to say. that's a terrible thing to say about my safety no not that horrible noise the other one and I'm just like, you're so brilliant i love you so much and like, i suppose that's like who is a show that you don't really need to watch sequentially but by watching sequentially, you do get a small bit more benefit for seeing these characters kind of grow. And you, you, these little moments, they have a bit more of a frame of reference, I think. Yeah, definitely. So I think I'm pretty much there with everything um, you said, except for two other things. One is mm-hmm. that she seems to be a very good uh, seamstress mm-hmm. or tailor, whichever way you want to describe it. But also that she's got a BS in BS <laughs> like just like like was it what are the plans of the attack very well hannibal is going to lead <laughs> like his elephants over over the north ridge meanwhile the red indians from the boston tea party i'm like like this is amazing i would i really just would love if a human collaborator just kind of went ah hang on a second there now <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's so brilliant that's so brilliant um so I had said that back at the start of this that Barbara was a character that had was firmly placed somewhere in my top 10 characters. She has launched herself launched herself well you know she was a goddess and she was everything so yeah herself seems pretty uh, okay to say. No. She launched herself well up into the top 5 into the extent of that I'm going to make a very controversial statement. Yeah. She is number 2 on the list. She's number two on my list as well. <laughs> yes. It used to be that her and Ian were joined for me because I, I discussed this before that I always saw them as Ian and Barbara. Mm-hmm. And everyone refers to them as Ian and Barbara. They're, they're a unit. They come together. But okay. through the rewatch, Ian is now three and Barbara is two. Like, firmly. And I'll be honest, I doubt she will ever take the number one spot because that person means a great deal to me. But yeah, you know, it's it's decimals in the difference. I'll put that way. Oh yeah, like but that, that's the thing. It's it's kind of like, but it's that stuff about a lot. Like you know, be it they shows or movies in a franchise, it can be the same for characters in said franchise as well. Um, mm-hmm. so like I would have said that probably Barbara would have been about my, my maybe my number six or seven, but on the rewatch, she's. Of the companion characters, she's the best written and most consistent, I think. And yeah. uh, bar at the time, what I view to be a bit of a wobbly start for the character, she's grown from strength to strength to strength to so much so that I think that if anyone ever wants to make the claim that, you know, Doctor Who back when it started was like, you know, misogynistic or whatever the case may be, I would love to just kind of have Barbara kind of go exhibits A through Z right here in the defense. Yeah, she really is an amazing, you know, you can call it a feminist representation, equal representation, whatever you want to call it. You know, when people, you know, refer to the Doctor Who companions as, you know, almost like Bond girls, you know, Hmm. something for the dads to look at and that's it. You know, while Barbara was something for the dads to look at. um, Yeah. That wasn't all she was, and she was celebrated in the stories for that not being all she was. It was never like, yeah. oh my god, Barbara did something intelligent. Bravo, Barbara. It was never sort of done in any condescending fashion. 
you know, I keep thinking back to the end of Edge of Destruction and I know you and I disagreed on whether the Doctor actually apologised at the end of that story or not. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he says to her at the end, you know, oh, Susan set aside some warmer clothes for you. You know, we can't have anything happening to you. You're very important. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that after just explaining that she was the one who saw the truth for what was happening before any of the rest of them did. And that really is who Barbara is. Yeah. And I, I think that you you kind of made the, the comment there on when we on Monday's episode for The Chase that would he will he be the same person without them? And I think without having Barbara be his sounding board, because I definitely think she's more his sounding board than Ian was. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, like it, it, it will be very interesting that like she had such an impact on him that he would gladly take the piss out of Ian. But when it came to came to Barbara, it was everything she did was very much appreciated. Yeah, I actually I might readdress that that question I posed on Monday. Would the Doctor be the same without Ian and Barbara? Would the Doctor have changed as much if it was just Ian that travelled with him? I don't think so. No. It took Barbara and her not taking any BS from him. And that amazing scene in Edge of Destruction. When she's like, you should be down on your knees thanking us. It took that, that drive, that character for him to open his eyes. So we wouldn't have Doctor Who today if it wasn't for Barbara. Yeah. And just kind of going through it in my head there, whenever there's been like a female and male uh, companion within the TARDIS from from my recollection now it's always been a case of where the Doctor's always had this sort of make fun of the guy's relationship with the male companions whereas with the with the female compa- uh, companions it's always a case of he's a bit more rever- reverent or reverent with them in terms of he takes their stu- mm. their notions on board and would, maybe that is like a, a holdover that's Barbara's legacy is that it made the Doctor rethink his position towards things now we know that the doctor is is an alien he doesn't think like, you know he's got a huge worldly view and it's not just he probably more subscribes to more than the oh you know women stay over there while men do all the talking type of thing but it just seems like that was what had happened like in the context of like, just watching the show before all these other major changes were made to it is that barbara has such a lasting impact on him through all these regenerations yeah and like even going back to the end of the chase you know when he's losing his temper with ian you know he calms a bit when barbara's like you know we'll take this with us forever yeah and you kind of get the sense that while vicky's the one who ultimately opened his eyes to the fact that he should let them go you kind of got the sense that he would do anything for barbara yeah like the way I kind of describe it is that when it's when it's Ian approaching the subject, it's white hot rage coming from the Doctor. When it's Barbara broaching it, it's kind of cold, sad fury. Yeah, that's a really good way of describing it. So, as much as we've lauded her, Barbara does have her faults at times. So, how about we move on to those now? Yeah. So why don't you go first this time, since I went first last time? Okay. So, I think that her kind of biggest excuse me her biggest weakness is that at times she can be a small bit too trusting just a small bit and I think a good example of that and I think I I think we had a really good discussion when we were on about it was in the reign of terror Mm. where now this might be down due to the fact that we saw a lot of it we saw some of it in the live uh, action episodes but then the animation uh, made Leon out to be a bit more kind of sinister then maybe mm. like the actual real life footage would have done it out to him but I think Barbara's a small bit too enamored by him to kind of clearly see the big neon sign over his head going this guy's a fucking creep yeah and yeah so like I think it's that's her downfall is that she's a small bit too yeah she's a small bit too trusting and that I suppose lead is the, the story is built upon that fact but in one way, I'm glad that her travel, like all her travels through time and space, didn't jade her to being a trusting person. But I would have liked to have seen her be a bit more cautious with the trust. Yeah, and I have something similar again. You know, similar to Ian, I have another similar thing on my side, which is 
you know, a strength that becomes a weakness at certain points, which is that her compassion can get her in trouble. Yeah. You know, we saw it in an unearthly child. You know, she's freaking the fuck out, understandably. Then, um, what's his name? Za. Za, thank you. Then Za gets hurt and suddenly she won't let anyone leave because they have to help him. Mm-hmm. And everyone's looking at her going, are you fucking serious? We need to leave now. And they could have left. They could have gotten away quite easily. But she wanted to help him. Similarly, in the Aztecs, all she had to do was keep her mouth shut and play the goddess role, let the Aztecs live their lives while the doctor was doing his research and finding a way for them to get out. But she couldn't because the idea that this amazing culture no longer existed... And she thought that she could do something to fix it. Actually, made it actually you know, it created the whole impetus for the story. It created the whole problem of the reason why Clitoxel didn't trust her. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, lastly, you, know, you were saying that you know she doesn't lose her trusting nature. She doesn't lose her compassion either. And we see it, you know, for the final time in the chase, where you know, in that I think it was the second episode or whatever, when they're about to be handed over to the Daleks, and she's like, you know you can't hand us over what do you mean but when the mire beast attacks um one of the fish creatures who've named i've forgotten um the iridians one of them the iridians yeah when one of the iridians who she was quite pissed at literally five seconds ago when one of them is about to be taken by the mire beast she is fighting with all her worth to save him and nearly got caught up in it herself so I think that's a bit of a thing with Barbara is that she's very caring and compassionate and to your point trusting that sometimes that gets her in trouble. Yeah. Like I suppose like it's a bit of a a trope when it comes to like sort of um adv- like adventure type stuff. Like um an example that's just popped into my head there now when we're done about like fight like you know 5 minutes beforehand these these fuckers are handing her over. And then when they're in danger, she tries to, she puts her own self at risk to try and save him. And it reminds me of a scene from the Brendan Fraser version of The Mummy, where the guy that's been constantly fucking over the group is about to be trapped in the the pyramid as it's collapsing. And even then, Brendan Fraser's character still reaches out the hand to try and save him. Yeah, it's it's the ultimate hero move, I think, (laughs) is to try and save your enemy. Uh, the other weakness I put down, so th- there was one weakness I was going to write down and I took it off the list because it's not a weakness of Barbara, it was a weakness in writing, which was yeah. all the sexual violence stuff that we mentioned and I'm not going to get into that again. Yeah. But that that's not a weakness of Barbara, that was a weakness of things happening around her. Mm-hmm. One of the things with Barbara though, if we're looking at, you know, oh like the classic companions were just X, Y and Z, uh, one trope that she does fall into unfortunately is she's a bit of a kidnapping target she is however it, uh, i suppose par for the course it becomes a bit of a strength because it shows her prison breaking capabilities or at least planning for prison breaking capabilities oh yeah definitely but she is a bit of a kidnapping target which yeah. you know if you were looking for fault yeah you could find it there. But to your point, and again, it's the same with Ian. Like The thing about these characters is that they're so well-rounded that their strengths become weaknesses but feed back into their strengths again, which is great. So how about we now move on to the the best and the not-so-best? Yeah. So why don't you go first? Okay. So the I've done three again. And the three that I've picked are the in 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 order i have gone the aztecs edge of destruction and the romans and the aztecs look it goes out saying that was barbara's showcase episode her thing of representing uh cultures one of one of their celestial figures and trying to change the entire course of history because again of her compassion and obviously she's then faced with the realization that her de- her desires her deepest desires when it comes to history they can't always be changed due to the f- nature of fixed points in time 
or as the doctor would say at that point is that um we, you can't change history not one line and i think it's a bit of it's a bit of a, an eye-opening moment for barbara and it's a great it's a great showcase of uh, jackson hill's acting as well so the Aztecs definitely has to take the top spot no question asked edge even though it's only two parts i think edge is the final note for as i made the kind of uh, comp- comparison before that the first three stories and an earthly child the daleks and edge of destruction are what makes are the starting point of the show after that then doctor who goes off in the full swing and edge is like the is the cherry on top of a really good story arc uh now i know that i said that an earthly child isn't one that you know i'm hugely fond of but i can't deny the fact that it's the launching point for these amazing characters as they grow and when it comes to Edge, Barbara's whole thing of realizing what's going on and sort of playing a weird detective in a really screwy situation. Again, it just makes you and her standing up to the doctor and not giving into his threats and trying to make everyone see reason. It's it's fantastic. It's it, there's a reason why it was the first five out of five that we gave it on the show. And it's the reason why we, I think I've watched it, that one more than any other classic story. Well, William Hartnell's story, definitely, than any others. Just because of, one, how good the story is, but mainly because of how Bar- how good Barbara's in it. Yeah, I think it's probably the classic story that you and I have discussed the most as well. Like, so outside of the podcast, yeah. like over the last yeah. 10 years, I think it's probably, it's certainly the William Hartnell story that you and I have discussed privately the most, which is funny because it's only two episodes. Yeah, but two episodes is sometimes all you need. And mm-hmm. then the last one I said was the Romans. And the Romans, the, it's, look, we talked about it. The Romans is hilarious. While it may be viewed controversially due to some of the subject matter in it, it's still, a, it's still a great story. And it's the perfect showcase for Barbara's whole thing of, like, for fuck's sake, I'm kidnapped again. Look, I'm going to break away. There's not, like, you're, you can try and stop me. I'm still going to try and fucking get out of here. So it might just be easier to let me go that type of stuff you know yeah and we we get to see also jackson hills's uh, comedic uh capabilities as well so that's my one two three for barbara yeah my one two three is the exact same and it's in the same order so aztecs edge and the romans <laughs> from best to third best <laughs> yeah the one thing i will say is that for me from an enjoyment perspective sometimes aztecs and romans swap places Hmm. i think if i was to pick an episode to watch between those two i often pick to watch the romans because it's funny yeah (laughs) and it has lovely Ian and barbara moments um but in terms of barbara as a character i think you 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 can't deny the aztecs you just can't like it's it is her showcase piece I did have an honourable mention as well. Mm. And my honourable mention is for the Dalek invasion of Earth. Yeah, I'd be on board with that. You know, for a plethora of reasons, putting up with Jenny being one of them. Um, Mm. But, you know, Barbara driving over Daleks with a truck. (laughs) It's so good. The bullshitting, bullshitting the Daleks, like you said, with the whole Hannibal coming over the mountains thing. Her impersonating the Daleks she's trying to give the orders i'm sure she could have talked normally and it would have worked the exact same way yeah you know it it it's such a good episode it's not as focused on her as the others are which is probably why it was an honorable mention rather than in the top three mm-hmm. but it's definitely in her top five stories i'm sure if i put more thought into it it would probably be in the four or five spot yeah but it's definitely an honorable mention for me for because again it's barbara in you know, a relative, relatively modern day. <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. Um, it's still in the future, but obviously it's the future, but filmed yeah. in 1964. It's really good. Yeah, I know our friends at uh, Half Measures, uh, Paul and Dan. Uh, sometimes they uh, promote our, our our newest episode with a tweet, and they had the GIF of Barbara driving the lorry through the Dalek roadblock as the GIF for that week, and I'm like. All that, all that I have in my head is the music from Aliens when Ripley is driving the RV. <laughs> like, I, 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 I actually, I want, like, I'm not really good at doing editing, 
so I think you know, kudos should be given to Trish. Trish does all the editing for the episodes. She does a fantastic job in it, so kudos to you. Clap of hands. Okay. Um, but I want to see if you can edit like that music over that scene, and I'd just be I'd, I'd be happy then. Okay, that 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 would be beyond my capabilities, but I can try. <laughs> Thank you. So going through Barbara, like we've done her best episodes. Now we'll have her worst slash weakest episodes. So how would you lead off in this one? Oh, it's Planet of Giants again. I fucking yeah. hate that story, buddy. <laughs> I don't because I love it, but I hate it all the same time. Again, it's. It's a difficult story to watch. So it's very difficult to to criticize in many ways because it was a difficult story mm. to watch. But the reason why I would hold that up as Barbara's weakest story is just the sheer stupidity mm. of not speaking up. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And I like there is no logic to it do you know if you talk about like oh she didn't want to worry Ian okay but what was she planning on doing if and when they got back to the TARDIS like the, you know they needed to understand it and like if she had told them at the beginning hey guys I touched the thing then everyone would have been like oh my god we need to find a cure we need to find a cure they would have been like way faster paced to get that <laughs> solved but instead she was just like no but we need to find a cure for it why because reasons so I, I'm right there with you for Planet of the Giants. And again, I think we mentioned it on the actual episode. Planet of the Giants as a as a whole isn't actually a bad story. And we would definitely recommend reading mm-hmm. the target novelization of the story. As a visual yeah. as a visual component though, it was done so badly because of the deci- because yeah, because of the decision to edit it uh, parts three and four together to make a, a third episode, which loses co- uh, coherency. And then when they did the recreations, God love them, they did their best, but it just, it's not quite right. It's not um, to the same caliber as some of the, like say, the Loose Cannon stuff. Granted, no, that's using the original audio tracks. So definitely, if you're to go for Planet of the Giants, read the Target novelization. Uh, but back on to Barbara's weak points. I have a, just a simple uh, thing. Barbara, you have one rule, and that's one rule only, and that's don't pull a paddy by not speaking up <laughs> and yeah. I, I I actually just again like imagine like as you watch that whenever you see that you're just thinking of me kind of going you fucking idiot <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it is Barbara's most paddy moment of them all absolutely and I think like, honestly for me I think kind of like Ian that's like the weakest story component of it yeah. I, I like I did mention before, right, that I wasn't overly fond of her in uh, an unearthly child, but after the kind of reflecting on the character as a whole, and kind of thinking back over that stuff, like I wouldn't change my score of the story, but my impression mm-hmm. of Barbara has changed ever so slightly, and I, I can kind of it was just the whole inconsistency of character moments, but. I think we were just trying to get like they were trying to cram in exactly everything that Barbara was capable of, both on the positive side of things and the negative side of things, into one story rather than stretching it out a small bit. Yeah, and I kind of had Unearthly Child as kind of an honourable mention in my weakest episodes for Barbara, only because if I had to rank them in order of Barbara's mm. performances and what Barbara has done, it is probably it's it's down in the bottom end. But that's not to say it's bad or anything. It's just down the bottom end. Yeah. So I want to talk about one last thing before we leave off. I'm conscious of time. Yeah. Ian and Barbara, like I said, they're often referred to as Ian and Barbara. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing about Ian and Barbara that was, in many fans' eyes, implied heavily on screen. Though William Russell denies that that was intentional. Yeah. And that is... Ian and Barbara as a couple. Mm. You know, I have them down as like the first Doctor Who true pairing. And I'm so, so glad that years and years later in the Sarah Jane Adventures, we get confirmation that, yeah, they did eventually get married. (laughs) Um, You know, they're kind of the proto-Amy and Rory in, in many ways, you know, for modern Who fans. If you like Amy and Rory, please go back and watch Ian and Barbara because... 
you love them to bits. Yeah. But what do you think of Ian and Barbara as a romantic unit? Um, so I've always been on board with the concept of them being a romantic unit. Uh, like since like even back when I was like I I did watch it like kind of a small bit out of sequence. Like I said, I started off mm. with uh an earthly child but then you told me about the romans so i jumped to the romans and then i kind of i jumped back then and i worked my way up and the romans is what i would kind of view as like definitely the starting point for them as more than just being friends because of the way that barbara Mm. kind of starts playing with ian's hair and stuff like that and going back then it's actually nice to see the progression of them move still being friends and then like it's not thrown in your face like so if, if if as William Russell said if it wasn't the intention for them to be a pairing it, it, it there's nothing there to kind of indicate that you know oh like you know Ian you're talking or William you're talking shit it's there plain as day like you could realistically I suppose walk away that with them just being good friends or you could walk away with them actually being a couple I definitely subscribe to the fact that they became a couple at the end of it yeah the way William has described it was that they were never told to play it up as they were a couple Hmm. Um, and that was it was intentionally not done that way and he made the point that like this show was made in 1963 Mm -hmm. you have two unmarried friends going off on adventures in space and time in a show that was designed for children yeah It, it wasn't really the done thing in 1963 to have that become a romantic relationship in that way and that they didn't want the focus to be on that um where I call a small bit of bullshit on that is, I mean, the way those scenes are framed, mm. the number of close-ups where the two of them are literally, like, you know, seconds away from having <laughs> no a kiss. very, very pleasant snog. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, I call it a little bit of bullshit, but where I really, you know, call it as bullshit in terms of it's bullshit that we didn't get to see it on screen is in the target novels they lean into Mm. it so heavily you're going back to the dialects you know when ganatus was asking barbara to stay you know barbara basically says no because of ian because of her feelings for ian you know you have in all of these other stories and i really need to read them all i've read some of them but i haven't read all of Mm. them yet you know they really lead into the fact that like you know barbara is ian's everything she is everything to him and your big finish has done stuff that's based around that same time like during their travels with the doctor and Mm. i need to listen to the rest of them because there's some of them where you know there was one where all ian it's kind of hard to describe so ian's on a boat with cook discovering australia and barbara you know gets thrown overboard but turns out later that she lands in the TARDIS it's a big long thing but he keeps hearing her say things to him and the thing that she says at the end is through another character is I am your navigator and you have Ian basically saying that that's who Barbara is to him she is his navigator she points him where he needs to go and it was it's really really lovely and i really want to explore the other stuff that has them in it because you know we didn't get to see it on screen which i think i think it was a bad choice i think it would have been really lovely to see on screen i don't know if they're in as much books and novels or books and audio dramas as some other characters i do want to spoil one thing though cuz if you, if you look up barbara on like wiki or the TARDIS wiki or something you will find this and that is that as much as I hate the Thals they clearly had an impact on Ian and Barbara and I will say four words John Aladon Ganatus Chesterton I wonder who picked the names <laughs> no but that, that's that's like first of all that's a cruel name to give your child but second of all they named their son <laughs> in the expanded universe after Aladon and Ganatus. Nah, I, I, I've that, that was the thing that I think that the Sarah Jane Adventures uh, left out was that you know they had uh, kids, uh, or at least a kid. But no, the, mm-hmm. as you said, the Sarah Jane Adventures they just confirmed what a lot of people had been hoping for. And like as I said, I, 
I left the show. I know some people didn't leave the show, but I left the show with the impression that they became a couple. And uh, yeah. such a cute couple as well. But um, no, I think that there are two people, the two characters, and again, the two actors portraying them were, they are two of the cornerstones for Doctor Who. They'll never ever be out of the discussion for in terms of impact in terms of uh like you know top characters or best characters or whatever the case is because they'll always be there they're they're always going to be the a focal point and i think the only thing that we can really do is just thank them for getting the show that we love that we love and all our listeners love off the ground yeah there's a there's a sadness to looking back on them in many ways which is that Obviously, we lost Jacqueline Hill back in 1993. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen online, it was not... Um, it wasn't quick and painless, I'll put it that way. Yeah. And I think the fans missed out on a lot with Jacqueline because Jacqueline didn't really do conventions. She did one Doctor Who convention in her entire life. Mm. And her husband has said that, you know... Jacqueline always had time for the fans, but she was very self-conscious. She was very, um, how do I put it, very uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, like a lot of actors actually are. You know, yeah. they're not the most outgoing people, contrary to popular belief. And so, you know, whenever fans would come up to her, she was always so good to them. And the thing that I it sort of adds a little bit of sadness to it is, you know, the DVDs hadn't even been coming out at that point. You know, yeah, some people had some of the stories were available on VHS, but there were still loads of stories missing, and you know, so much of Barbara's Run wasn't readily available to people. And it's sort of it's sort of sad that Jacqueline Hill couldn't see that in the twenty first century, her character is still adored by so many. And that, you know, when they were creating the new companions, like William, or not William Russell, Russell T. Davies actually said that, you know, when writing Donna and the way Donna is with the Doctor, a lot of that was Barbara, you know, when, you know, another actress, when Elizabeth Sladen passed away, you know, everyone said that, you know, Sarah Jane was the quintal, quintessential Doctor Who girl and all the companions were based off Sarah. And I think in many ways, the friendship and the best friend relationship with the Doctor on that is true. I think there is so much of Barbara in the cla- in the new companions because Russell T. Davies was such a big fan of the classic show mm. that, you know, if you haven't gone back and watched the episodes with them in it, please do. Like, thankfully, you know, William Russell is still with us and he's done conventions a bit. So a lot of fans have got to meet him. And obviously, he he does the big finish stuff and things like that, which is great. But there is a certain sadness to the fact that, you know, Jacqueline Hill didn't get to see it in the 21st century. And the impact that her character had on people who were born years and years after she was gone from the show. Well, I to I suppose put a a bit of faith into it. I I I have a feeling that she probably knew. I hope she did. Yeah, I really hope she did. And I just have a concept in my head now because you know the fact that I'm a complete you know uh, nerd and I'm also a big fan of uh, wrestling. The concept of the the four horsemen, uh, like, so it'd be like the four quintessential mm. best at whatever it is that they do. I think we found our first horse person, our first horsewoman. <laughs> now now we just need to figure out who will be the other tree. <laughs> I do have a headcanon I want to run by you before we finish up, right? Yeah, of course. Just to sort of bring it, bring it back up to a slightly more positive thing because I got really depressed yeah. <laughs> for the Aww. last two minutes, sorry. Um, just to bring it back up. So I posed the question on Monday, would the Doctor be who he is today without Ian and Barbara? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very, I think it's a very genuine question in terms of character development uh, in the universe. But I have a headcanon, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Ian and Barbara are gone. And the Doctor is now traveling with Vicky. And we know he'll get other companions along the way. Why does the Doctor keep coming back to relatively modern time Earth? 
So relatively being at the time of the show, it's always modern time for the show. Why does he go back to the 60s? Why does he go back to the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and so on? Why does he protect the Earth? What does he care about Earth? Why does he care about Earth so much? So, two things. One, he's either looking for the next Barbara, or two, he keeps coming back because he wants to protect Barbara. Yeah. And by extension, Ian. So, not just Barbara. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) By extension, Ian. Yeah, so I sort of have this headcanon that the reason why the Doctor cared about Earth so much, and yes, obviously he's gained more friends over time. Mm Mm-hmm. But the reason why the Doctor cared so much about Earth and wanted to defend Earth so much is because that's where Ian and Barbara live. And he owes them so much that he will protect the planet where they live. Do what? I'm fully behind that headcanon. Fully behind it. If someone wants to write a fanfic that centres around that headcanon, yeah. send it my way, please. <laughs> Ian, Ian and uh, Barbara just staring every time the Doctor goes saves Earth and they're like, you're welcome, planet Earth. <laughs> Uh, so i think that's it for this rambling indeed indeed i'm gonna get sad again so move on (laughs) okay we'll be back we'll be back on monday with a with a new era of the william hartnell era (laughs) so uh yeah we've got the time meddler coming up on monday an episode i've never seen so that's going to be interesting i'm probably going to watch it tonight actually oh i do and there are yeah, no, I'm not going to say anything because otherwise I might spoil stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you on Monday, guys. Cool. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye.